Hello and welcome to Decoding the Gurus, a podcast where an anthropologist and a psychologist listen to the greatest minds the world has to offer and we try to understand what they're talking about. I'm Professor Matthew Brown. With me is my trusty junior co-host, Associate Professor Chris Kavanagh, the man Friday to my Robinson Crusoe, but nevertheless an indispensable part of the podcast. Thanks for joining us, Chris. Roger, Roger. You're looking well today, my looking youthful, full of vim and vigor, not the kind of guy that would be having a nap at midday or, or, or too worn out to podcast. That's what I like to see. That's what I like to see. It's true. It's true. We were meant to be recording this yesterday. Oh. I, I felt too weary. So weary. <laughs> yeah, just like, uh, I got a message saying, my old bones, they're acting up. <laughs> they're acting up. <laughs> Oh, yeah, it's true. It takes a certain level of inner gumption to be able to tackle Dave Rubin um, and you, Uh, Chris. But um, I think I'm up to speed. I'm grinding the old bones. I just want to remind everyone that the reason we're doing Dave Rubin today is that we were intending to do Dave Rubin and Bill Maher together to get them both out of the way. We don't want to do Dave Rubin. Nobody wants to talk about <laughs> Dave Rubin, but we we went to the baller of listening to him and clipping him. So we're not having done that for nothing. <laughs> like, <laughs> we have to make the episode, but we do realize that Bill Moore and Dave Rubin are not fantastic mm. fits for the Guru template. No. But- it's kind of an open and shut case. Like if this was like a Sherlock Holmes novella, it would be like three pages. Oh, it's, it was the guy with the knife. If it was a house episode, it'd be like, oh, you've got lupus. the common cold. <laughs> so, it's, all, it's always lupus. <laughs> but, yeah, so, you know, look, Bill Maher is going to show up again, but now you have the ground prepped for him from our previous episode. And the people who complained, the, the small number of people who complained, which is all right. We're open to feedback that Bill Maher doesn't fit the template. I just want to explain to them one thing, which is this show, we have a gerometer thing, which we sometimes reference, which is because we were covering people who were a little bit different and varied on different axes, that we decided to try and quantify in a way the differences between them. And, and so we came up with these 10 factors that we commonly see. And for each person that we cover, we rate them on those factors. And people score differently. Some of the people we score, score very high on the secular guru template. Some of the people don't score highly. This is actually good. Having some people that are in the middle or score lowly. One, it's just useful to have a distribution, a variation of the people so that you can you can see the difference between like the people that completely fit the template. But two, it helps people realize that it does not mean that somebody not fitting the secular guru template is someone that we like. <laughs> right? <laughs> I don't like Bill Maher very much. <laughs> and he didn't score highly on the grometer. But that doesn't mean, oh, I really love Bill Maher, and that's why I you know, scored him relatively low overall. It's just that he doesn't fit that template. So this is a good thing to emphasize that I suspect, I don't know yet, that Dave Rubin will score 
middling because he he might want to be a guru, but he's a bit of an idiot. So, um, yeah, but he's just, you know, a partisan pundit. And partisan pundit is not what secular guru means. They often are partisan pundits as well, but it's not the core of the definition category. Okay, so what you're saying is that this guru pejorative isn't just a way for us to stick it to characters that we uh, don't like or are ideologically opposed to. It's actually science. That's what you're saying. It's both, Matt. (laughs) It just depends on what day of the week or what mood you catch us in as to how we're using it. But yes, typically speaking, we are striving to use it in a less pejorative sense um, or at least allow that there could be bad non-gurus and good gurus. Although, to be honest, if you score highly on the graph, this is the, the part that's like a little bit confusing because a lot of the factors are negatively valenced, like conspiracy mongering, grievance mongering, and and so on. So if if you're doing those, the chances that you're a good secular guru is probably quite low. But I'm, But there may be... Good secular gurus out there. That's, that's we're on the search. We're on the search. <laughs> it's it's very complicated. See, even you're getting confused. For anyone who's struggling to follow along, there's at least three different ways in which you can define it's- a group. First, firstly, it could be someone we cover, right? Someone who meets the bar to actually be covered. They're on, our on show. the show called decoding on- the gurus. Ergo, <laughs> we must think they're gurus to decode. Well, yeah, that's one. That's one way. Then there's the you know, that they actually are kind of a secular guru. Like Carl Sagan, he's kind of like a guru character, but he doesn't show many of those toxic traits. And then the scoring high on our gurometer, which is the more... It's, it's it a negative. It's like a toxic guru, secular, secular guru, guru scale, really. I can't understand why people keep getting confused by this. It's very it's straightforward. Very, it's so straightforward. <laughs> very straightforward. We've explained this many times. <laughs> yeah, so like just... You know, if you want to understand, what you need to do is join the Patreon and listen to the Grometer episodes. I believe there's an episode in the back catalog somewhere called Calibrating the Grometer. Go hunt that out. You'll get the concept. It's all clearly explained. And I never disagree on what the definitions of individual factors or what you should use to determine your score. So, yeah, that's that's it. It's all clear now. Yep. That's, that's good advice. Good advice. Yeah. If, if you don't want to get sort of verbally subtweeted on this show, called out for not understanding, pay us money. You better listen to extra content and things will be clearer. Listen to us <laughs> model the definition even more <laughs> in more depth. Yeah. So another thing that has happened recently, you may have noticed, was in the discourse. There was a change of a conclusion in a report concerning the likelihood of one lab leak origin for the novel coronavirus that we've all been enjoying these past few years. And the discourse on, online has been very measured. People you know, are just taking it as a, a piece of new information, putting it in and kind of adjusting their probabilities in a reasonable manner. And they, they're not stooping into partisan blowhardery. It's been mm. just fantastic to see that people have been so reasonable <laughs> and restrained. Um, oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Like, Brett Weinstein definitely wasn't poised like somebody about to sprint 
uh, the 100 meters and then has been frantically running victory laps until he's been getting dizzy. That's the kind of thing that hasn't happened. That's what you're no. saying. This is sarcasm. This is sarcasm. I'm just, <laughs> I just, we need to flag this up on occasion. That has happened. Everybody lost their shit. Cats and dogs living together. <laughs> the sky was falling. A report from the Department of Energy in America, an organization which, it's true, everyone was waiting on everybody was on tenterhooks to see are they going to revise their conclusion or or not because that's the domino where everything falls and so in any case they they revised their conclusion and they ascribed that for they they haven't actually spelled out the reasons but it seems to be from their assessment of some intelligence sources or whatnot that they think it's more likely right but they put the confidence as low so they have a low confidence conclusion that their probability is higher for the lab leak. And mm. this has led to every one and their muller on the internet who has been promoting the lab leak, essentially declaring it fait accompli. That's it. That's it. You know, the look, you all lied. You all said it wasn't possible. Now who's laughing? The Department of Energy has made its conclusion. It's low confidence conclusion, but so what are you going to say? And any time this happens, and this does happen, Matt, this endlessly happens. It's happened months ago, whenever there was a ProPublica Vanity Fair pieces. It happened a year before that, whenever there was some intelligence head that made a statement when the head of the WHO makes a statement, periodically, this happens. There is an article that comes out where somebody or some organization expresses that the lab leak is a possible origin or is a likely origin. And then lab leak, Twitter, heterodox Twitter, lose their mind and just <laughs> run all over the place screaming that this is it so what do you what do you think of me now look at me now yeah that's Crow. right like look look they admit it they admit it they finally admit it yeah uh, we um, broke through the mainstream barrier now we're taking over mm. so, yeah, so so this is related to this thing that's very frustrating which you've called discourse surfing which i i really quite like as a concept and it, it obviously applies not just to lab leak but to so many different things where instead of people paying attention to the aggregate body of evidence and expert opinion whatever that exists out there which which does change over time generally yeah. in an incremental slow kind of way that generally isn't kind of these new revelations causing all the scientists to sort of go oh my god i've completely changed my mind now at the same time, there's the discourse layer on top of that, and it could be some Vox article, it could be a, a New York Times article, it could be a statement from some politician or some government department, whatever. It's all the discourse, and people are seemingly extremely reactive to this discourse yeah. in, in both directions. So, so they could be reacting against some, some article or opinion where it might have been you know, a bit bullish on something like masks or lab leak yeah. or something like that. And, and then they go, oh, now they said this and now they said this. Who do we trust? They're all lying or something. And what they seem to miss is that that's just, it's all discourse. This is all some combination of journalists and pundits and various public figures making some public statement. It isn't the underlying body of evidence or body of credible expert opinion. Yeah, so like you could read it as 
the Department of Energy has relevant experts. They've got new information that has caused them to revise their assessment. And this adjusts your assessment of the likelihood. But it, if it's hugely swinging it, like, that's strange because there's been other intelligence agencies and other institutional bodies which have reached alternative conclusions, right? Which either say there's not enough evidence or judge it not likely. And there's ones that judge it likely, right? So why this particular piece of information or why it is every month or two months when there's an article that comes out and, and quotes someone that you're you know, so dramatically shifted is the thing which surprises me. Because if you're really invested in this, I feel like you should be paying attention to the research literature. And you might reach different conclusions from the research literature, but there's nothing really new that came out. And most of the scientists involved have responded to this, to point that out, that there's just a low confidence conclusion shift in one American agency, but also to state quite clearly, almost all of them, if there is some smoking gun new evidence that emerges that shifts the probabilities, that they will acknowledge that and shift their conclusions, but they haven't seen it yet. And every past occasion that this occurs, it's turned out to be much less impressive. And it, it, there is this weird standard whereby the very people who constantly bemoan that mainstream media narratives are, these are the things which are problematic and you can't trust government organizations and it's all like all of those narratives, they just completely dissolve anytime an article appears that supports a heterodox and alternative position. It's like none of those critiques apply, uh, mm. except for the most conspiratorially minded who, like Brett Weinstein, for example, noted that Sam Harris released his episode recently on the Lablik with Alina Chan and Matt Ridley. And then he noted that the Wall Street Journal article came out recently. And then he just pondered, is there some connection? Like, you know, is Sam, was Sam aware of this article or was there behind the scenes collusion between some shadowy elite of, you know, opinion makers who now have decided for some reason that Lavalik can be given more credibility? And no, there, there isn't. And actually, although there has been at times heavy-handed moderation, like Facebook, for example, had something which said, like, if you promote the Lavalik as being an artificial thing that th this wasn't permitted. But as far as I can tell, pretty much all of the lab leak advocates were not kicked off Facebook. I think the main thing that Facebook suppressed was presenting it as a bioweapon or that kind of thing, right? Like mm. leaning into that. But then, then they changed that policy over a year ago in 2021 in response to some articles coming out, yeah. right? So the notion that this topic has been taboo. I wish that were the case because if it were, I wouldn't have had to hear about it every friggin' month for years now. So like, to me, it's not covered constantly in the mainstream, but there's been a steady drip of 
discussion on it. And usually in the articles that discuss the possibility, the experts have these quotes where they say things like, we cannot rule out the possibility of a lab leak entirely. The journal articles all make these points when you read it. They say the evidence, scientific evidence for these reasons leads us to conclude that a natural origin is much more likely. However, mm. we cannot rule out entirely the possibility of a lab leak. So it hasn't been taken off the table. It's just that the scientists, for various reasons, mm. believe that it's unlikely. The majority of scientific evidence, the weight of evidence leans towards it not being a lab leak. And that's where they draw their assessment from. So it's just, it's difficult to... Um, it is. <laughs> to handle the discourse because there's so many people who just want you to react to an article headline. And this is a journalist who previously made a big thing about reports about people being sick at the Wuhan Institute of Virology, right? But there's no indication yet and no being no proof that those people were sick with COVID or even I think that they were actually sick in the given time frame. But in any organization, people get sick, in the winter, you know, so yeah. you need, you'd need to have evidence that they were sick with COVID or yeah. COVID-like symptoms for it to be a big story. But the journalist presented it like that. So you already knew where his sympathies were. So him publishing an article, which does report things relatively accurately, but which is kind of framed as this is a big deal. It's not surprising. It's just mm. normal. Like some journalists are quite strongly in favor of the lab leak being the most likely possibility. Well, and in general, journalists are in favor of a good story. It's their job. I mean, people should be used to this by now. You remember when dark chocolate would cure cancer and, oh no, now, now dark chocolate will kill you. Maybe we should drink one glass of red wine a day. I mean, journalists just have that tendency because it's very hard to write a, a story, <laughs> an article without making it out to be you know, a bit of a big deal. It's an unfortunate thing, but that's just how it is. I mean, one of the things we see with the lab leak is a very common complaint that, that they're being ostracized, that they're being you know, labeled conspiracists for, for merely wanting to discuss the possibility that such a thing might be the case, where, as you said, it, this is simply not true. It's, it's discussed and has been discussed extremely seriously in the scientific literature. So two things can be true, right? On, on one hand, it can be you know, less likely on the basis of evidence that lab leak occurred. It can be reasonable to still put forward, you know, to marshal the evidence for that position and explain the reasons why you're doing it. At the same time, there can be and were very lurid conspiracy theories circulating around bioweapons and sort of crazy stuff or even stuff which may not be crazy, but it is a conspiracy theory. Just recently, we've, we've heard Alina Chan and um, Matt Ridley talk about this conspiracy of silence and uh, around researchers, not just the Wuhan Institute of Virology, but international virologists everywhere. We're going to talk about the origins of COVID, but in the background and, and perhaps explicitly, we're also talking about the political corruption of science and a fundamental lack of transparency on the part of public health officials and you know attendant failures of cooperation. When I first started wondering about where this pandemic had come from, I had no idea about this whole history of collaboration between not just the US, but many other countries across Asia and, and Europe with labs in China to do quite risky 
virus work that might have led to this pandemic. So here, it's not just whether uh, Western scientists are afraid of, you know, provoking China. It's really a question of are they also mm. complicit in, in the origin of COVID-19? And over the last few years, we've seen again and again a lot of support within the U.S. for exactly that type of dangerous virus research that's commonly known now as gain-of-function research. So if the pandemic did start from a lab in Wuhan, it is not just a Chinese government issue. It is actually an issue that affects multiple countries, many countries mm. who have all supported and endorsed and engaged in this work. And the U.S. is a big funder of it. So they would have almost equal responsibility, I think, in my eyes. It is a case that, uh, that Western virology feels worried that its entire research program, indeed the whole of biotechnology, might lose its funding, might lose its social license if a major accident is revealed to have happened as a result of work in a, a laboratory. I mean, whether or not you agree with them, they are alleging a conspiracy and they are basically pointing at that conspiracy for why there is a lack of evidence for their position. So it seems a bit difficult for people to imagine. Yep, you have people like Brett Weinstein getting on his high horse and demanding an apology for being called a conspiracy theorist because now this government organization has changed their assessment to being uh, having a low level of certainty that they think it's more likely <laughs> that it was a lab leak even though there are like four other U.S. government organizations which have the opposite point of view still. Yeah. So, no. And so like a point that's possibly worth emphasizing is that it is possible for people to draw different uh, conclusions about the relative likelihoods, right? There'll always be a distribution of opinions on any given topic within a field. And you will have some people that have outlier views and may hold them for good reasons or bad reasons or consensus positions can be wrong. They have been in the past. All of this is true, but it is also true that there is a conspiracy ecosystem which exists online and which grows up around topics like these. And the lab leak is no exception. There are people in that community that behave exactly like 9-11 truthers, exactly like climate skeptics. There are genuine parallels with the lab leak online community. You can see it in the tactics that they use, which are things like anomaly hunting, like focusing on out-of-context snippets of emails and presenting the scientists involved as nefarious, arrogant elitists who are trying to manipulate the public and they're just interested in securing research grants and they've been arrogantly playing God and now they're being captured, like the kind of very stereotypical conspiracy image. And you also do see this thing about researchers being smeared, having their home addresses and whatnot being doxxed, family members targeted, and then becoming partisan targets. Now, if you think that they are doing all of these things that are alleged, they're covering up the origins of the virus and they are colluding with the Chinese state to suppress important information then they are seen as fair game, right? Because they're 
morally corrupt and bringing these villains to light is is justified, right? But it should be clear that that is the image that has constantly been presented about climate researchers, about 9-11 investigations, the engineers, right? That's the way that they're presented. Yeah, about the people creating the vaccines as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so that does not mean that any discussion of the lab leak falls into the category of lurid conspiracism. But that is a component of that whole ecosystem. And it is very often the case that you see people uh, not distinguish between the two. And repeating the rhetoric of the more hardcore conspiratorial members of the lab league community. And yeah. I understand it's like, it is a, a tricky thing to navigate, but what would be useful if you had an interest in the topic is to, yes, no problem to listen to the people advance the reasons that they believe there's a conspiracy of silence or that they believe that you know a lab leak origin is more likely, but also go and listen to the experts respond to that. Go and listen to them in long form content, outline why they hold the views that they do, or if you're capable of it, read the summary papers that are published attempting to summarize the evidence, because that gives you the counter opinion. And that is why there is, I think, such a large delta between public perception and the general expert opinion, because the experts are basing their position largely on the scientific evidence, and the public is not. It's all this discourse, it's this maelstrom. And if it turns out that there has been this cover-up and the Chinese government have engaged in all these nefarious actions, I guarantee that the people that uncover it will be people doing careful investigatory reporting. It will not be the discourse-surfing conspiracy-prone people. No, it won't be pundits taking hotshots on social media. So, look, it absolutely is challenging. It's just human nature, I think, to focus your attention on whatever the newest news article or public statement is, and you can quite easily slip into the view that there's corresponding dramatic moves or flip-flopping in the underlying scientific consensus or evidence base, when actually it, it may not have changed at all or not changed very much. I mean, I think we're both sympathetic because it is very hard to avoid because, you know, we're not virologists, we're not experts in these things. We rely sensibly on somebody else to synthesize that evidence for us. That's the right thing to do. But that makes us quite vulnerable to being influenced by whatever the latest thing is that's coming along and be more influenced by people who are, for instance, journalists, a science journalist writing a popular book rather than the more boring, less accessible uh, opinions that are often buried in research labs or whatever. So the final thing that makes it hard for us all is we've got this confirmation bias. The very same people who would totally dismiss some statement made by a government organization, especially when they don't show their evidence, it's all confidential, (laughs) they don't explain any of their working, they just come up with a pronouncement, 
Um, they, they would totally dismiss that if that organization was saying something like, I don't know, masks are really important. You have to wear them, <laughs> right? As untrustworthy because it's the government and because they haven't shown the evidence or whatever. So there's that very selective skepticism that comes into play. So me and Chris, you could tell from listening to us that we're dummies as well <laughs> with these things. But it's just good to ask yourself questions when these things come along, like how much has the evidence base or consensus expert opinion changed as a result of this new thing that's come along? Is it really a smoking gun or is it just an, another little thing to add on the pile of existing evidence? Where do my own kind of sympathies lie? Am I more likely to believe statements that go in one direction rather than the other? So, yeah, it's kind of like folk epistemology, right? It's just people trying to have good opinions or have accurate opinions about how the world works. And it's not particularly easy, but uh, that's what we got to do. <laughs> yeah, like the one point that I will finish on, Matt, that I think is true is that I do think at times researchers do not do themselves favors by being more transparent about things, how they reach decision or whatever. And, and I think the public health authorities did the same thing. I understand the reasoning why they made the decisions that they did, but I think they backfire because they don't explain. So like in some cases of researchers that said, look, I thought initially that the virus was lab made because it has these features, but I changed my opinion because of X, Y, and Z, right? Then I think that would be more well-received than people like more sticking to the final conclusion and not trying to introduce doubt. But I understand why they don't do that, but yeah. I, I think that would have helped. Yeah, look, on a very similar note, I think in, in hindsight, some people have suggested that it would be have been better for public health authorities when they're giving public health advisories in relation to something like COVID to always have that disclaimer, which is that this is our best guess based on limited information in a fast-evolving situation, whatever. And I appreciate, on one hand, the perceived imperative to keep public health messaging simple and direct and not introducing uncertainty. Um, that's just what you need to do when you are giving public advice. But when you're not sure, when the evidence is unclear, we're seeing how it can contribute to increased public distrust of science and public health authorities because it's perceived as lying, as flip-flopping, etc. So, uh, so, yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, so the topic will come up again endlessly, I anticipate. But just to say there is an option where whatever conclusion that you reach on the various likelihood, and I, I genuinely mean it when I say that I think for the vast majority of us, whatever assessment is, is completely irrelevant because we lack the expertise to properly assess things, right? So like what most people on Twitter think is the most likely, is it doesn't matter. <laughs> like what I think, it doesn't matter, right? Uh, what matters is people who understand the evidence and where they draw the probabilities and the general way of, of evidence. But also with that, that, you know, if you want to be very invested in this and you think it's important for whatever reasons, just try not to be reactive to every 
new headline that comes out, whether it supports your position or whether it contradicts it. Take the cumulative perspective. Overall, how much evidence is there? What does this new piece of evidence adjust or not adjust? And that's the thing which so few people seem to be doing. They're just like ping-ponging between headlines. And currently, there's a bunch of headlines saying lab leak is likely. And so there's a big thing about, well, now they're admitting the lab leak is likely. There will likely be a bunch of other headlines in a second wave in a while, which says, actually, this was oversold and the thing remains unlikely. These things come in waves and it'll be a reaction to those headlines and so on. And that's what I'm talking about discourse surfing. Underlying that, all that's happened is a organization changed a low confidence conclusion in, in a report. And the, you'd be better waiting on just more papers coming out, more investigations, like proper investigations, not partisan political ones. And yeah, that's that's it. We've said a lot about it, but um, you know, it just it comes up so frequently <laughs> and it's going to continue coming up. There will be another article and headlines in another six months time and the same thing will happen again yeah no no i think it's i think it's a good thing anything that's helpful for making us a little bit less vulnerable to punditry is a good thing and on brand for decoding the gurus and you know what is also on brand for decoding the gurus chris decoding decoding. yeah decoding (laughs) dave rubin dave rubin is it well yeah it's it is true. We often deal with <laughs> annoying people. So in that in that regards, he's on brand. So Dave Rubin is a kind of talk show host for an online show called The Rubin Report. There's a, a profile on Quillette called All About Dave that came out just before Christmas by Ross Anderson. And it's this very detailed breakdown of his career and the trajectory, right? So if you want the background knowledge, I would suggest reading that. But the very condensed version is he was a comic of sorts, a wannabe comic, got some positions hosting media shows and alternative media talk shows. Um, He was with the Young Turks at some point, a fairly left-wing outlet and then he left that created his own Ruben report channel which set itself out branded itself as neither right nor left just looking at issues with nuance and and not polemical you know giving people proper breakdowns and that pretense <laughs> it lasted for a little while but very quickly became clear that Dave Rubin is a right-wing partisan and not really capable of offering pushback to any of the people that he interviews. So he's now full on, as you'll see, a kind of right wing MAGA conspiracist type and feuding with various people that he used to champion, like notably Sam Harris or that kind of person. Yeah, these people are interesting. Like he, like many, started off as like a comedian stand-up comedy, that kind of thing. And he has gotten more partisan, right? So early on, he hosted LGBT-themed shows, I see. Yeah, as you said, was on the Young Turks. 
I probably at that point in his career, I haven't listened to his earlier stuff, but I kind of assumed that he hadn't really made his mind up to be a hardcore partisan pundit, but clearly perhaps has followed the lure of attention, I guess. It seems to be his brand now. Yeah. So probably the easiest thing to do is just to demonstrate by playing clips where Dave Rubin currently is. And there's two pieces of content that we looked at for this episode. One is his interview with Bill Maher on Club Random, which we'll we'll get to in the tail end of the decoding segment. But the first is just a randomly selected Rubin Report episode. This one is from... Uh, when is it from? Well, it doesn't matter, <laughs> really, because they're they're all essentially the same. But I, I think this is from a month or two months ago. And it was focused on Greta Thunberg, her appearance at a conference or this kind of thing. And you'll get to hear what that's like. Uh, today's show, as we begin the week, is going to be an extension of sort of what we were doing last week, which is a lot of stuff about the World Economic Forum and how its tentacles have basically reached into every Western democracy and have us all doing a whole bunch of stuff that's probably against our national interest. But for some reason, we feel the need, well, not you, not me, uh, but the collective we, uh, to listen to these lunatics like screaming Al Gore and absolutely awful uh, John Kerry or very bizarre angry little girl Greta Thunberg, et cetera, et cetera. The cast of characters does not end. Uh, but we're going to go into a bit more about what's going on over at the WEF, which we think it just wrapped up. It just wrapped up. They're probably still sucking the natural resources out of the area and worshiping children or whatever they do. Uh, but yeah, the thing itself wrapped up. So we're going to cover a little bit of the end of it, some of the media reaction to it, and then how that's sort of reflective of everything going on in our country right here. So he's spelling out the kind of stuff um, he's concerned about with the World Economic Forum. Yeah, so it was Greta Thunberg's attendance at the World Economic Forum, right? And you can hear from that clip, his delivery is like a kind of classical talk show host, right? His elocution is quite good, but he's delivering just hardcore, almost Mm. talk radio era conspiracism right that it's it's that flavor of conspiracism but with the modern anti-woke talking point like the modern right enemy is the world economic forum they're trying to enslave us and take away national sovereignty but it's all very familiar themes right it's like the the globalists taking over and liberals being their their kind of sock puppets in order to restrict national sovereignty and and take away like what's true and good about the American spirit. Yeah. Yeah. It's basically the same themes that someone like Alex Jones would be dealing with, but definitely, as you say, delivered in a different tone. And yeah, you could substitute some of those topics. Like you could talk about Satan and feminism and, and communism, and you could make it like radio talk show from the Midwest in the 1980s. Yeah. And Greta Thunberg is a figure who draws a lot of attention from the right-wing media system, both alternative and mainstream. You might even say that there's something of a Thunberg delusion in effect in the way that they cover her with like so much attention. 
But uh, yeah, here's Dave Rubin talking about her. So first, let's start with Greta Thunberg. And you know Greta Thunberg. How dare you? Uh, this little girl who screams about climate change and who's aging horribly uh, because her whole life is based on nonsense. Uh, anyway, we played last week her being arrested in Germany. And there was a clip that went viral around the world, was seen millions and millions of times of her being arrested, protesting something in Germany, mean German police officers carrying her away. It was very scary. Of course, uh, then we found the other video, and the other video shows that the entire thing uh, was staged, completely staged, her smiling with the police officers beforehand, literally them like softly holding her on the wrist, just completely ridiculous. That's a very clear parallel with like the Alex Jones kind of coverage, right? That it's all a fake flag. She wasn't arrested. It was staged. And, you know, and just the random shots about like she's aging horribly. What the? Yeah. Yeah, that seemed, um, yeah. Uh, I was a bit surprised to hear that one, but yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it just, it it is that kind of narrative and there's like a visceral hatred, but it's, Really, she's just an avatar for like opposition towards climate change mitigation, right? Yeah, it's interesting how right wing pundits often do this. Like the like characters, like I mean, maybe the left does it too. But I'm thinking like characters like Fauci or Greta Thunberg, they become like you say avatars of love everything that they hate. Like the attention really does focus on individual people. I mean. I don't know. I really do hate Rupert Murdoch, so maybe it's true of everyone. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, but I, I think it does happen on both sides of the aisle. Um, you know, maybe just tendency of people to personify things like that, systems or or approaches. But there is this, like, you know, if you're talking about the level of attention that, like, say, a Trump or Marjorie Taylor Greene gets, mm. Right, like Greta Thunberg is up there in the pantheon of liberal hate figures. But it's, it, yeah, on the one hand, it, it's somewhat surprising because the left also, I think, deserve some <laughs> of the responsibility for this because they did give a large spotlight to her when she emerged. So in some way, that drew the ire. But again, she was like a young kid speaking forcefully about climate change so there was a novelty aspect to it and the aspect that she was you know quite morally outraged that her generation is the one that will bear the brunt of the costs and and she's been very effective as a campaigner in terms of getting attention onto the issue and having like significant profile um, yeah it's interesting how that climate change debate evolved like i remember when the debate was very much quite dry on the pro-climate action side. Like, it was very dry. It was very scientific. It was very, very logical. You know, here's all the evidence, you know, statistics and graphs and that kind of thing. And the response to it was very emotional. Like, you had the talkback radio people and it was very hyperbolic, very, very over the top. They're all lying to us. It's this, it's this terrible left-wing plot and they're going to destroy the economy, all these things. So probably Greta Thunberg marks a kind of a transition point where the advocates for climate action, I think probably just out of frustration, 
at get, not really getting anywhere with the dry, rational approach, started taking a more passionate, emotional uh, approach as well. Yeah, there. Are, I mean, I think that has always existed to some extent, right? Like, I, I think things like Extinction Rebellion and that the profile rose of the more hardcore activist side against climate change. But I mean, I, I remember there were still climate protesters and environmentalist protesters. That's always been an element. Sure, like, you know, sure. PETA and stuff like that have various campaigns which which cause either people to say that it's counterproductive or that kind of thing. So Yeah, but in terms of the stuff that took center stage, they always existed, certainly. Um, yeah, but maybe it's a contrast between like Al Gore and Greta Thunberg, right? Yeah. Like their presentation, because Al Gore was more the TED Talk style, here's the graphs and that kind of thing. But and I, I think like, I, I don't know, I haven't consumed Greta's content. So no, I, I haven't either. If I've, she does I've, that. I've never, yeah, the, the only time I ever hear about Greta Thunberg is when the right uh, vilifying her. Yeah, so I've only seen the clips I suspect everyone has seen of her, like, you know, giving a speech at the UN or whatever, wherever it was. And uh, it's, it's, it's amazing. In any case, this is an aspect of, you know, the modern media that the figures which are reviled get a lot of coverage, be it on the right and the left. And there it is. But Greta Thunberg was, as would you would imagine would be the case, was uh, confronted by various right-wing media outlets when she was over at the WEF. And in particular, one far-right outlet from Canada, Rebel Media, uh, managed to bump up to her in the street. And, and Dave Rubin, Alex Jones, all of the right-wing pundits here were, were quite excited at this prospect about confronting her and seeing how she responds. So let's just listen a little bit to the way this is framed. Greta ends up at the World Economic Forum, and she got questioned by some real journalists. And I have to say, when I can say the word, the word journalist or journalists without air quotes, it's an absolute pleasure. And I've given them a lot of credit, but I want to continue. The guys over at Rebel Media up in Canada, it is an independent outlet, I believe started by Ezra Levant, who's a buddy of mine who's been on the show many times. They've got Avi Yemeni and a whole bunch of other people who are out there doing actual journalism in world econ at the World Econ uh, Economic Forum. They are running down the street, getting microphones in these people's faces, asking them real questions. Anyway, Ezra got in the face of how dare you Greta Thunberg and asked her about her staged arrest. Okay, so you, like the delivery, Matt, it's so freaking, I hate this style of delivery, like that kind of, you know, dramatic, polemical, it's not even satirical, I refuse to like <laughs> honor it with that, it's just this overly dramatic, hand-rigging partisanship, Tucker Carlson does it too, emphatically emphasizing specific words and speaking with such distinction Dean about the grit, mm. like yeah. it's it's cartoonish. Yeah. yeah, yeah, a lot of venom infused into pretty much every word um, he says <laughs> during this episode. Yeah, and so you heard him talk about how they are real journalists. You know, he doesn't even like to talk about journalists anymore. But at least this group are real journalists. So let's let's hear what the real 
journalism sounds like. You're arrested at the German coal mine. How many times did you rehearse it? Because it looked staged. Is it true? How many times did you rehearse your arrest? Greta, how many times did you film your arrest and why was it staged that way? Greta, considering you've not spent much time in school, how do you know so much about climate change? Do you think at least the fact these delegates take private jets is a bad thing against, you know, what you believe in? All of this could be done via Zoom, so surely... Surely you should be encouraging all the delegates here, especially the likes of US Special Envoy John Kerry for climate, uh, Special Envoy for climate change. Surely you should be saying to these people, you should be doing this via Zoom with a much smaller carbon footprint, surely? Greta, would you say you're a child actor? Are you a child actor or an expert? How would you describe yourself? <laughs> it's just great stuff from Rebel. And I know it's like jarring when you see a journalist going after the people who they should go after and asking the right questions. You almost don't know what to do with it because, of course, that's not going to come from anyone at the New York Times or CNN or anything else. Yeah, that's just the like Ruben's little, you know, framing of it as great. That was excellent. Those absolutely loaded, stupid, gotcha, polemical gotcha style mm. questions, which she quite rightly just ignores and walks on and Ruben's like, that is, that's fantastic, isn't it? <laughs> you know, just... Yeah, yeah, no, it just illustrates just, he's such a rampant partisan, like there, there's just, he he blows the lid off that scale. Yeah, anything which is sticking it to the left is fantastic by definition. Um, yeah. Yeah, and he's, he's just such... Such a little slimy sycophant as well in the way that, you know, he talks about any of the people that he admires versus the terrible people on the other side who are just mm. soulless people they are. And yeah, and and like at, uh, the specific criticisms they're leveling there at, at Greta, I believe she's rather infamous for trying to avoid flying on planes and that kind of stuff so that line of attack is just it's just stupid right obviously she can't control how people arrive at a conference and all that kind of thing and just ah. Uh, so in in any case we get to hear after that dave rubin kind of talk a little bit more about the climate change issue so why couldn't she just say, actually, you know what? I will answer that one question. That's actually a decent point. And perhaps next year we'll do it by Zoom. Or perhaps next year we'll figure out some other way to have series of flights instead of everyone flying in privately. But it's all part of the grift. So let's continue with the grift. Because what really, it's the greatest grift of all time that they are trying to pull off. These are people who have, who enjoy all of the luxuries of living in Western society, right? They have free speech. They have freedom of association. They, they have all made most of the people there millions and millions, or in Al Gore's case, hundreds of millions, uh, John Kerry's case, hundreds of millions of dollars through capitalism, through all of the things that they've done in these free societies. Yet they have this meeting annually in Davos to discuss how they can destroy capitalism, how they can destroy free speech, Western societies, free thought, all of that stuff. Mm. Just destroy capitalism, destroy Western societies, and destroy free thought. I mean, not many people like the Davos conference, right? Across the political spectrum or the ultra-rich 
influences no. important people that attend. So it's understandable that the right generally and Dave Rubin in particular would be fixated on that because it is it is a good point. The uh, like it's crats. And yeah. the global politicians, yeah. right? It's, it's, re- it's replete with gotchas. But the sort of layering to it that they're out to destroy the West and everything we hold dear, I mean, is is just silly. I mean, it, it, it does show that, yeah, as you say, he's, he's willing to go pretty deep into conspiracism to further his partisanship. Yeah, and that, you know, dichotomy between environmentalism being just parasitic on capitalism and you know the societies it it just for me it had echoes of constantine kisson's speech that if you you live in a modern society and you enjoy plumbing and those kind of things you want to prevent other societies you know from developing because climate or environmental protection it has to be prioritized but it's creating that dichotomy that the people at Davos in general, the notion that they would want to destroy capitalism and Western democracies when they themselves are many of the beneficiaries of those exact systems. Like, yeah, it, it, it just, it's just... You know. Yeah, <laughs> it, I know. It's, it's silly. It doesn't even make sense, does it? I mean... Well, <laughs> you know, we talked about the parallels with Alex Jones and the kind of populist, right, isolationist kind of perspective and the kind of sentiment that you find on talk radio amongst militias in the past. You can hear it in a lot of Dave Rubin's speech. And this is him, for example, commenting on some remarks by a Slovenian foreign minister who's talking about the war in Ukraine. But, but listen to what they say, what riles Dave the wrong way. Here is uh, Slovenian Foreign Minister Tanja Fajon, I think I got that one right, uh, calling for countries to uh, really stop caring about themselves and uh, bow to the new world order. We have to take care of the rules of the international law and really respect that and not change it in a time when there are countries that choose the way not to respect them. And Russia chose that way. So we have countries that are respecting the rules and we have countries that are respecting their national interests going beyond the rules. And that is what is happening and we have to take into consideration the world order. That's a really extraordinary statement for a foreign minister of any country to be saying. You're respecting the rules if you're respecting the World Economic Forum's rules. They are not some sort of binding organization. Completely not. Uh, they're a group of rich elites who send out their minions to all of our countries to try to change our policies, but they don't set rules. They, they'd like to set rules. They'd like to set far more than rules, and they'd like to take a whole bunch of us out while they do it. Uh, but she seems to think that their rules are more important than the country's own national interest. Well, frankly, Slovenia lady, I think that Slovenians should be in charge of what happens in Slovenia. Okay, I think that's a pretty Slovenian idea. And I think Americans should be more in charge of what's going on with Americans than a Slovenian foreign minister and her sold out cadre of lizard people. Okay, that's where I sit on this thing. Shocking, shocking. That's a real turn up for the books. Uh, Dave Rubin is against global 
initiatives, multilateral agreements. He's for nationalism, basically individual national countries looking after their own stuff in, in isolation. Yeah. It's, uh, I know, I know, but it's just, it's such bad fear framing as well because she didn't mention anything about the WEF's rules. She talked about the international rules of law. That's the mm, international yeah. order that kind of, yeah. you're not allowed to invade another country. Right, she explicitly mentioned Russia pursuing its own national interests at the expense of other countries. And Dave Rubin and his cadre, like their know-nothing approach, your national interests become an international issue when another country invades you, right? And that's what she was talking about, like upholding the world order, which the US is a proponent <laughs> Of right, yes. like a, a key advocate for that, and they themselves have also. Don't get me wrong; like historically, they have not heeded the rules yeah. of international. But that—that's all that's being said, and he treats it as the lizard people are trying to take over America and Slovenia and say you can't have national interests. No, like your national interests include joining alliances so that you ha are able to not be invaded by hostile mm. neighbors. Yeah, like, and your national interests include not having your low-lying areas being submerged as a result of pollution that was put out by other countries, right? Yeah. So it's an interconnected world. Yeah, look, this is all obvious. We don't need to spell this out to people. Everyone knows this. But it's, it's as you said, it's that know-nothing isolationism that's been a thread, especially in, in US political discourse since at least the 19... 20s and 30s, I think. And yeah, yeah so Dave Rubin, he, he, he's really, I mean, the thing that surprised me about listening to Dave Rubin, Chris, because I didn't listen to hardly anything of his before, is that I, I, I knew he was a partisan pundit, but I, I didn't realize how stupid or at what a low primitive kind of level his punditry was operating at. Yeah, I mean, it, it really is creeping the barrel and... um and Matt, you heard him mention lizard people offhandedly at the end, kind of jokingly, but like, listen to this clip. But they continued because not only are they trying to confuse you about climate change and they want to make sure you follow their rules, well, they've also got to make everything gay, okay? They have to gay up the whole thing. Hold on, let me loosen my wrist a little. They have to make this whole thing gay, okay? You have to be gay. And if you're not gay, they'll gay you up. They'll put it in the water, whatever they have to do. They're going to gay it up. We have to get this gay stuff out there. Video! It's about making sure that people are seen in the mainstream media in day-to-day -day life. And I think that's another opportunity where we have the corporate world to play a really important role. It's in the, as, as one of our colleagues said in another forum that we were in the other day, the hearts and minds part of this. And that is to make LGBT um, people, the community, visible when you are talking about your product, you know, visible in your imagery. Um, you know, we can make sure that your products are centered towards Does anyone think we need more of this? Are you guys not getting enough gay imagery throughout the day? Uh, look, I think many people might reasonably roll their eyes a little bit at the sort of corporate 
corporations, you know, representation and et cetera. Like, you know, it's, it's, it's fine. It's, there's no, there's no, I, it, they're obviously not trying to turn the frogs gay. Put things in the water to turn Puts, people gay. I, but I, I think the only interesting thing about Dave Rubin that I really spotted was that is the fact that he is gay himself. Uh, I think he and his partner uh, may have a child or. Uh, yeah, they, and, they and ex- had surrogates. So I think they had he, two kids. And one thing, as we'll hear, I'm a bit sympathetic to him too. Which I really shouldn't be because he puts himself in these positions, which is the kind of strange obsession that many fellow right-wing or heterodox people have with his sexuality. But it is he occupies an odd role, doesn't he? Because he definitely, I don't know, his homosexuality it doesn't fit particularly well with him being a rabid right-wing <laughs> conspiratorial partisan and yet it somehow plays a, a role in his in his discourse right yeah there's a little bit where it's almost like he has to be you know performatively critical of that whole space and, and in a way that avoids the potential i think for people to make that a point of criticism like there was a there's a rather famous clip where one of the people that he had on this show afterwards discovered that he was gay, like a hard right commentator who then, you know, fiend mock outrage and said, oh, my God, he touched my hand. Stephen said they hate Dave Rubin because he's a gay man with the wrong opinion. Dave Rubin is gay. No. He got a husband. I did not know I was in his presence. I didn't know. I shook his hand. Ah, I sat down with him. Why would y'all tell? Why did y'all tell me before I went on his show? Oh, Stephen, why would you send me this? Oh my God, Stephen, you ruined my day. And there's an element of that which is genuinely just depressingly lacking in self-respect. You know, Dave Rubin talked to someone who was discussing the surrogacy. Like when he announced his surrogate plans to have children via surrogacy, it was not greeted warmly on the right side of the aisle. Yeah, I saw that a few times. Uh, But the other thing is like the reference to the turning the frogs gay, putting stuff in the water, the lizard people, it's all done as a kind of in a jokey tone, right? It's Mm. not done with the same seriousness that you would find Alex Jones. Well, Alex Jones also deploys a jokey tone at times when he needs to. It just depends on the audience as to how he refers to those things. But I feel like Dave Rubin is getting away with essentially calling people lizard people and saying they're putting things in the water. But because he does it in a jokey tone, he can make use of all of those tropes. He can half-heartedly endorse them all but he always has this layer of deniability where he can say well no i wasn't you know i didn't yeah. mean they're actually lizard people or that yeah. kind of thing yeah look absolutely and there's this rich history of that kind of thing with you know 4chan ish ironic stance where they're they're always joking just trying to trigger liberals by saying outrageous things just joking not really haha aren't you confused yeah. now now you know, I guess we got to mention though that that's extraordinarily common. Though that ironic stance is is something that even the best of us, Chris, 
might use on Twitter from time to time because it is rhetorically convenient. So it's just worth noticing. Yeah. Well, yeah, it is. But I think there's a difference between adopting, you know, irony to soften a particular perspective that you want to promote and taking the most hardcore conspiratorial tropes and yep. dropping them into your content when you have an audience which is conspiratorially leaning. And especially when in the next breath or a previous breath, he's saying the WF is sending its tentacles out and its minions to take us yeah. all out and so on. Like he's not joking there. <laughs> so when you're mixing up jokes in scare quotes about gay frogs and lizard people, in that context, yeah, it's very different. Yeah. So it will not surprise you to hear, I think, that Ruben, alongside all of the standard punditry and whatnot, he also will frequently reference other right-wing figures. We already heard him endorse the rebel media, Ezra Levant, and here's him talking a little bit about Tucker and also vaccines come in here vaccines and globalist spot so lots to enjoy just stay out of our lives that is it crazy hat lady uh tucker had a nice little take on the ending of the world economic forum they brought in some entertainers at the end and there was this incredible flautist she was a flautist without a flout take a look time to check in with our lizard overlords in davos switzerland what are they up to those people run the world, question mark. I think, look, it, it all seems scary, and they are plotting against us. I mean, they really are, and they do send these stooges like Justin Trudeau and Gavin Newsom. They send these people into Western democracies. But I'm telling you guys, I really, really believe this. This, this is not the best of the best that we're up against. These are incompetent buffoons who idea, whose ideas are so anti-human that they cannot win. We just need to be a little bit braver pushing back on them. We just need to expose them more. And that's why they want censorship, of course. Uh, but a lot of the stuff that they have pushed over the last couple of years is being exposed in real time. And good people, not crazy right-wing maniacs, good, decent people who are apolitical, who just want to go about living their lives, they're figuring it out. So this is really extraordinary. You may remember a video that we played uh, last week where Ezra Levant and Avi Yemeni, two of the Rebel News guys, where they got at Davos, they got in the face of Albert Borla, and he is the Pfizer CEO, and they asked him about the efficacy of vaccines and when did he know they didn't work and why are they continuing to push it, et cetera, et cetera. All these clips, I think, illustrate how far Dave Rubin goes. I certainly wasn't aware that he was operating like at this level of paranoid conspiracism. Um, yeah. Justin Trudeau and Gavin Newsom are like the emissaries from the World Economic Forum who've been sent in. They're just mm -hmm. the puppets. It's very much Alex Jones' presentation of how politics function and that. And, and also just that line about good, <laughs> not crazy right-wing people, just decent apolitical people. <laughs> I, like, yeah, it, was the apol it was the apolitical bit that got me. <laughs> yeah, they're so, so apolitical. And that reference that comes at the end where he's talking about Ezra Levant and Rebel News cornering the CEO of Pfizer when did they find out the vaccines don't work and why are they continuing to promote it and stuff? And it's just... Yeah. No, it's very... It's bad. 
It's very bad. It's highlighting how deep the anti-vaccine stuff is mm. on the right now. And, and just to illustrate that more. So what else is going on here? Well, well, the other piece of that comes with all of this is that we are learning every day more and more that the vaccines did not work, that they lied about the science, that they push things on people who did not need vaccines, whether they were, you know, healthy 25 year old guys uh, who otherwise w were not going to get sick, maybe would get sick a little bit, but then move on like everything else is happening you know, in the world. You get the flu, you move on. OK, life's fine. But they wanted to vaccinate children, all of these things. And now we're seeing all of this stuff about vaccine injuries and the heart attacks and people passing out and a whole bunch more. And they can't honestly answer those questions, right? Because they'd all end up in jail, probably, if they honestly answered it. So the grift, all of the people, all of the people, whether it's the people at Pfizer or the people at the government or people at the WEF or all the Hollywood actors, all of the people who pushed mandates, who pushed vaccines, they had no idea what they were talking about or they were doing it for genuinely nefarious reasons. They all have to protect each other because if one guy admits it, then it's dominoes, right? You're going to take out everybody. One of the fascinating things about all of this is that did you know, you probably did because you're a pretty bright person, that Pfizer wanted immunity from vaccine lawsuits and basically got granted it by our government. Here's Tucker talking about that. Oh, yeah. I mean, I was talking to some normal person who was a bit confused that the anti-vax narrative stuff has really, if anything, stepped up in intensity most recently as opposed to yeah. whatever a year or two ago because and they said to me like why why is that because you know everyone who's going to be vaccinated has been vaccinated by now there aren't many intrusive public health measures going on it's kind of most people are basically moving on with their lives and it made me realize and this clip illustrates it well how important it serves as a point of grievance. It's now entering right-wing law as something to feel extremely aggrieved about, yet another thing that you were lied about, that you were tricked by whatever, the elites, the globalists trying to exert coercive control over you. So it's just, it's interesting how it functions. Yeah, and I actually think it ties into the discussion we had at the start about the lab leak in terms of you see it presented as they're all lying. We found out none of it was true. The media, the politicians, the celebrities, all of them were pushing this lie on us. And now the dominoes are falling and we've been proven right. And now you see that rhetoric. It's the exact same around the lab leak, the reaction amongst the same people, Dave Rubin and co. Right? This is where you can see the parallels in the rhetoric being used and why you should be suspicious <laughs> about those kind of claims, right? Like it is interesting because the facts do not support any of this. The vaccines did work. They've been extremely effective. Most people have been vaccinated now. Public health measures have been relaxed in almost all countries. And this isn't what they said was going to happen. They said it was going to be perpetual lockdowns. This was just the beginning. And that these were the authoritarian steps to get people in line before the takeover. And yeah, it's just, it ties into the pre-existing rhetoric. You know, the, the kind of globalists plan to take over really neatly. It's just the newest flavor of that. But actually, nothing has changed. This is the same narrative that you would have seen in Infowars 20 years ago. 
around vaccines. And that's why when people are saying, oh, you know, it's not about anti-vaccines, it's about these vaccines and all that kind of thing. No, it's not. This is the same rhetoric. It's just becoming more mainstream yeah. on the and right. Yeah, and it's not even specifically about vaccines, even in general. Like you could substitute, say, gun controls or something. What books are in school libraries, whatever. Every little issue can just be slotted quite neatly into that broader worldview, which is, you know, we all know its features. It's conspiratorial, it's it's anti-globalist, it's nationalist, it's anti-government, it's a whole bunch of things. But yeah, you know, it's emotive and somewhat dangerous stuff. And yeah, I just hadn't realized how far Dave Rubin had gone. I mean, we're not really in this to be political commentators, but man, the hard right is knocking farts, man. <laughs> like, yeah, like, yeah. like, 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 Dave Rubin says he's a moderate or apolitical or whatever. But if you take his claim as true that he's like a liberal, center right, classical liberal person, like, man, that's insane. The center right is fucking crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. And again, just sticking on the anti vaccine point for a little bit longer, here's him discussing vaccine advertisements and pharmaceutical industry, so on and so forth. They're going to, you take a pill, it's going to somehow fix that, but you're going to get hysterical diarrhea and thoughts of suicide and vomiting. And you're going to punch your grandmother, a whole bunch of wacky shit. But for some reason with the Pfizer, I think, I, did I make up the punch your grandma thing? All right, I might've made that one up. But for some reason with the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines, you, they push these commercials everywhere and they never said anything about side effects. How bizarre. It is quite bizarre. But it wasn't just, you can't blame just the, the drug companies for this. You can't just blame Pfizer and Moderna because they need cohorts. They need a partner to pull a scam like this on everybody. We found this video. They, what they need are government actors who will scare the hell out of people so that the government can make contracts with these big pharma companies and they can pull the giant grift of all time right in front of our eyes. Check this video out. This is fr- this is the Australian government. This is not Pfizer. He's going to play a clip about like, uh, trying to encourage people to get vaccinated. And, yeah. Uh, but the Australian government, Matt, your repressive state <laughs> is being called out there. Yeah, yeah. Evil regime that it is. Yeah, he plays out a clip. It's mainly a video clip. There's no dialogue in it. And it's just, I think it's probably showing someone in intensive care struggling to breathe because of they've got the acute infection of COVID, right? Yeah. That's a safe assumption. Yeah, it's just interesting the things that trigger them. Like the Australian government, this is a bit of a tangent, but back in the day when, when AIDS was, was a big issue, there was like a public health campaign to get people to practice safe sex. And they, it was a little bit controversial because they had like the Grim Reaper, they had yeah. the Grim Reaper involved in, and it was a similar kind of thing, just showing people, yeah, you know, just using emotive visual techniques to raise awareness. I'm okay with that. They had a similar kind of campaign with like dangerous driving, drinking and driving, that kind of thing, showing the aftermath of an accident. Um, yeah, I think that's yeah, all. you know. The amount of double standards which slam into you whenever you are dealing with partisan content is just, it's, you become desensitized to it. Cause like Ruben has been cheering on the most unhinged, polemical, gotcha journalism style. And then 
a government video trying to use emotion to get people aware of risks. That's beyond the pale. But <laughs> his lurid fantasies about the, the globalist sneaking into your bed at night to cut your throat, that's all fair game. And it's just, uh, I just, you know, you become desensitized to it as you listen to more of it. But it's it's just striking. All of his claims are false, that the vaccines don't mention anything about side effects, that I, I, don't know about you, I don't know about you, Chris. I had a pretty fair idea of the side effects that I would get even before I got yeah. the vaccine. So it's lies. It's just outright lies. <laughs> but it's, <laughs> it's like it works. It works. And that's just the thing that's amazing about it. So, you know. Uh, I think we live in an age of crowdsourced propaganda. This is the world we live in now. People like Dave Rubin are creating it you know, purely on their own initiative and on their own bat and presumably profiting, making a good living from doing it. He's quite rich, I got the impression. And so there's no sort of um, government apparatus, ministry of information that's generating the lies. But um, yeah, in the, in the modern era, we just seem like we've, we've outsourced it. We've, we've crowdsourced it. It's now the domain of free enterprise. People like Dave Rubin to just lie constantly. Yeah, and if you want to hear an example of him lying, being a propagandist, being a partisan polemicist, and this is Dave Rubin at his best, like attempting to be, you know, a, a kind of right-wing rhetorician or like a, a powerful orator, this is his best shot. We're showing you all of this because we're actually winning and they're losing. And it's not just because some of them are resigning. And it's not just because more and more people are waking up to the nonsense and people are realizing what, what outsourcing your individual choice does to society. It's that people are, generally speaking, fighting the system in a new way. They really, really are. People are tuning out of mainstream media. They're tuning into shows like this, and we can do it. And then people get braver, right? What, that's the thing that I'm always talking about, that bravery begets bravery. So... Ezra Levant, he's going out there, he's being brave. Now that video has been seen 20 million times and he'll get braver. And then you know what? Some people will donate to Rebel and their operation will expand. And yes, and the government of Canada will try to shut down their bank accounts and a whole bunch more. But it's like the march is on, guys. It really is gone. But what do I always say about all of this? The, the simple truth is we cannot forget the hysteria. There's a reason I'm showing you that Australian government video. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Matt, the, the brave people tuning into this guff and, and donating, you know, the important thing. It's like, it's always the fucking message with Alex Jones as well. Mm. The fight is on. We are fighting back. We're the good people. We're the real people. Buy bone broth to support <laughs> Infowars and I'll continue fighting. Right? Dave yep. Rubin, Ezra Levant, they're yep. all yep. just siphons for yep. credulous <laughs> fools. <laughs> partisan fools. If you're supporting Dave Rubin, God, God damn it, man. <laughs> but you didn't mention Donald Trump, whose flagrant grifting was just amazing, especially after he lost office. Or every evangelist radio preacher in the United States, every sermon ends with that, donate to save your soul. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty blatant. But it is, you know, you could see part of the emotional hit there it's um he's not even it, good at it though is he no i mean well it's not working on me but you have to try to put yourself in the position of his audience i suppose but i'm thinking about in terms of delivery like jordan peterson whatever you think about him 
he can give a passionate speech, right? Where he's he's making it <laughs> almost too like passionate, a, Chris. <laughs> yeah, he can. But you know, you know what I mean. Like he's yeah. able to ramp up the audience emotions here. It feels like Ruben is just doing an impression of yeah. someone who he's seen do that. Like he doesn't really have the capability. It's just. Like, I, I know this would work on the right audience. They get the cheers that he wants and stuff. But he's not good at it, Matt. No, 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 I totally agree. If I compare him doing it with Trump or with Jordan Peterson or pretty much any evangelical preacher, um, yeah, they've got the fire and the passion and can really sell it. I mean, a lot of people call Ruben a grifter, and I get why, because it's kind of more obvious in his case that this is like a job. You know, I, I, I just yeah. get that, you know, you get that vibe from, we'll probably, I mean, it'll be interesting to compare the recordings here with when he's talking much more casually with Bill Maher, but like he's playing a role right now and the, it's sort of obvious to you now, but it's even more obvious when you contrast it with him just relaxing. We're going to get to that very shortly. God bless us. But that notion, like, I, I think he's an ideologue as well. I think Dave Rubin is just so brain dead, like such so easily led that on the one hand he is leaning into all the tropes he is just repeating whatever he knows you know the the audience will hear but when you've heard him discuss things like on joe rogan's podcast or whatever in a less structured way he's an idiot right like he's just hears things and parrots them and he can't really respond to critical comments or anything he's so i feel that he's both an ideologue and like a grifter in the truest sense of the term like yeah. it doesn't it right. doesn't matter that he actually believes it but he is so stupid that he does believe <laughs> it. yeah that, that's fair i'll concede that he's an ideologue but only a very very superficial ideologue <laughs> like yeah it, yeah it does, like it does not run deep with him as you say so, he, he just parrots no. So there's stuff like he's picked up the people that you should reference in the right wing that are seen as hero figures and stuff like that. And I'll just play the very last clip from this content where he's giving the end of that speech that we just heard. And you'll hear him reference a certain figure at the end. Uh, you know, this is the kind of thing that gets conservatives hard. <laughs> so now let's get to the good part of this. The good part of this is that throughout history, guys, there have been bad ideas. There's, there have been fascists and communists and socialists and Nazis and a whole bunch of other bad people. And then good people start saying things that are true. You stop participating in the lie. You stand up and you say, I am here. I have worth. And I am not going to pretend anymore that you are good or valuable just because you guilt me into thinking something. Okay. You know who's a good person? She was a great person. I wish we still had her. Can we maybe work on the cloning thing? Let's talk to somebody in the UK about cloning her. Here's Margaret Thatcher on responding to socialists, right? Responding to these types of people who would otherwise give us endless chaos. Oh, you're not going to play Margaret Thatcher? I was looking forward <laughs> no, to that. No, I don't like she's, she's better at delivering speeches as well. But like, my God, Matt, that was such a, a such a hard turn to. And you know who is a good person? Let's play Margaret Thatcher talking about <laughs> society. And just with Ruben, you don't know sometimes whether it's his stupidity or it's intentional. Because, for example, there. He calls out extremists, right, and ideologues. 
And then this next paragraph is about you are the good people. Stop accepting the lie and stand up in your society. Look for you can restore the real value. That's fucking like that's the rhetoric of all those groups that you just said that mm -hmm. you denounced, right? So he's like, yeah, uh, he's yeah. But the thing that I find interesting, like this is what you're talking to, which is the mismatch between the self concept and the reality. Like clearly. People like Dave Rubin like to conceive of themselves as open-minded liberals, right? The antithesis of socialism and fascism and communism and so on. And it's so far away. Like, you know, the apolitical centrist is the, is the fond self-concept. But, you know, from the clips that we've played, it's, it's easy to see that he's part of the conspiratorial MAGA verging on QAnon Right. So there's a massive mismatch there and he doesn't seem to be aware of it. He's that superficial. But the other thing that I'll say is that this calls back to the previous clip you played, which is that he doesn't deliver it very effectively, but you can see the intent there, which is that we, we are part of the true, the just, the uprighteous people who care about truth and freedom, all of the good things. Um, we're part of a club. You can support the club by sending me money, sure. But I, I guess that's part of the appeal, right? That we are the good people. And if we stick together and stay the path, then we can triumph over the forces of darkness. So when it comes to doing the Garometer <laughs> episode, we can remember that, I think. Yeah. So uh, now we'll move to Bill Maher and Ruben chatting, which was our original you know, intention to cover. But just after hearing all of that, garbage matt i i just want to play one clip from a bit into the conversation with bill maher and um, so just listen to this well i think jews probably should be conservatives most first off i don't even consider myself a conservative the the book that i'll give you at the end there um <laughs> it's, a, it's a defense of classical liberalism i think you'd read the book and you would go you know, maybe a little bit, I'm, I'm more on the like, I don't really want any government programs anymore. So I definitely have more of that stuff now, maybe than you do. But I think you'd read that book and be like, yeah, we're 95% there yeah. politically. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. I'm not a conservative. <laughs> <laughs> Bill, Bill Myers agrees with that. That sounds right. Because Dave Rubin's a nice guy, right? They're having a nice chat together. They're having a drink and getting stoned together. Um, well, he, yeah. he laughs at that initially but you know bill maher is very willing to say you know you and me dave when we put aside the political stuff you know we're, we're good people we both want the good things and stuff like this but you'll see in this conversation that the political is always just under the surface and there is a lot that bill maher gives a pass to but you just imagine right all that shit that we've just heard just from one episode of ruben show and he puts them out you know, multiple times each week. Bill Maher could go listen to a single episode of Ruben and he would presume that he would notice just how polemical and how extreme Dave Rubin is. But I will bet you money he never listens to Ruben's show. Yeah, like, yeah, not even a single episode. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's almost certainly just incredibly lazy, isn't it? So, I mean, let me ask you this, Chris. Why does someone like Bill Maher have someone like Dave Rubin on his show? Is it 
that he just happens to know him and likes him or is it just cross-promotional? He's famous, so he, he can be part of the lineup. I think there's a couple of reasons. One is for the kind of centrist cred of being able to speak to people from both sides of the spectrum and uh, and also that they previously were bundled together in the heterodox sphere, right? The, with yeah. Sam Harris and because Dave Rubin, for example, was part platformed, of the idea. He was part of the IDW, but he yeah. platformed Sam Harris after that kind of infamous run-in that he had with Ben Affleck on Bill Maher's show, where Ben Affleck accused him of, of being bigoted against Muslims. And Dave Rubin, likewise, at least in his story, he claims that he left the Young Turks in part because of their treatment about Sam Harris over accusations of anti-Muslim bigotry. Right. So I I think there's a kind of, you know, like the, the general heterodox mm. against the far left misrepresentation of people like Sam Harris and that kind I get of thing. It. I get it. Yeah. There's a little bit of heterodox common ground there. Yeah. Okay. But I think more to contemporary era stuff is to do as well, Matt, potentially with COVID and, you know, as we heard in the last episode, Bill Maher's views about vaccination and lack of concern about COVID in the way that it's presented by the liberal left. So listen to this. Now, you, now yeah. you've hit on the one raw nerve with me on this issue that could make me go to Florida or anywhere else, and that's COVID. Yeah. And their overreaction, in my view, and their limited ability to understand that, please, it, look, I want to be a team player, but you can't get inside my body. No. And that has to be my Remember decision. Remember when they were for uh, no, my body, my choice? Wasn't that them? That's Okay, now that's an unfair analogy because we're talking about a different life. Mm, yep, yep. Well, look, they got some common ground here, right? Uh, government overreach. And, um, I mean, this clip was, this was one of the original reasons that I thought covering them together would be good because there you can hear... You know, what we covered last week, which is Bill Maher's, my body, my sacred body, you cannot put something into my body. That is the classical anti-vaccine. There's poison, thimerosal, mercury, right? It's toxins that you're injecting into my body. Alongside Dave Rubin's right wing, the government doesn't have the right to tell you what to do. Public health campaigns are... Yeah just the first step on the road to authoritarianism and they can do that meme where they're reaching across the aisles and you're know, kind of clasping arms but when Ruben tries to tie it to a right-wing talking point yeah. where he says you know yeah and this is the party my body my choice you can see Mars discomfort where he's like well no that's that's let's stick on the COVID not about abortion yeah yeah and there was another point of discomfort too Chris wonder if you have the clip there which is when Bill Maher is doing that kind of, you know, thing where they go, oh, the world's gone so crazy now. I remember when people were normal and everyone's so partisan and ideological. And, and Bill Maher starts talking about, like, QAnon and MAGA people, right? 
That's hey, right. that's the truth. See, you are an old school liberal. Oh, I am. You are an old school, oh, liberal, but it's I'm getting lonely. Don't you think it's getting lonely in a way? Watching just well, watching so many of the people that you used to think were sane, or guys that you would bring on your show over the years that really were well, that goes, sane. That goes both ways. Yeah, because okay. I certainly have seen a number of people become Trumpers, and and like uh, you know. Uh, I can't. I don't want to like reveal too much and have people know who I'm talking about. Yeah, but yeah. some people who you would never think who are not that you're not like 60, 70 years old. Yeah. I'm talking about forty, and um, from places you would never think, and now are full on QAnon. Mm -hmm. Democrats eat babies, and yeah. there's a pedophile. Well, I don't right think here. they eat them. They drink the blood. It's not. Well, a, it's not an eating situation. They it's order. It? I thought them. it was. Yeah, they, they order them and yeah. then push and then, them around the plate. Yeah. Is really what they do. But it's, it's that it's that sushi <laughs> no. spin thing, you know. But uh, so. But but watching the lefties sort Great. of go yeah. nutty because that's sort of what people say about you now that you stayed and the you know the they and they they kind of did go nuts. I. I wish they mm. didn't. I wish they didn't. Oh, me too. Yeah. No. Except that it's more material. Yeah. You know, it's like I... When I, did you see it? When I did used you see to have... What happened? When did you see it first? Like, when did you see the thing really changing? And it was just funny to see how quickly Dave Rubin steers the conversation away from that towards lefties going crazy. Yeah. Well, I have one that I think spiritually makes the same point. So this is when... Dave Rubin is suggesting that Bill Maher is becoming red-pilled and maybe he'll get to the point to vote for the Republicans and here's his reaction. It's the shirt. You Republican, you make the animal set. I'll fully red-pill you. That's what we call it. When you're splayed out over the bed. That's what we call it, Maher. Is that it? Yeah, yeah, because everyone's like, Bill Maher's almost there. What does he need to finally get over the hump? I know what it is, Bill. Oh, I know what it is, too, and it's not that. First of all, you got to break up with your boyfriend, Donald Trump. Okay, so forget Trump. I'm, uh, we, don't have to, we don't even have to do politics if you don't want. But, no, but, but I'm just Trump. saying, you, all right, so you brought it up. Yeah. You brought it up. Fair enough. You brought it up. Yeah. And I'm telling you. All right, so let's, okay. That's, so, I, red pill. You know, you people make me laugh. Okay, so. As if you think. So is this. That I would even entertain the idea of joining up with a social club that made Donald Trump its president. This fucking twice-divorced casino owner. That's who you think? Well, you would grant me that Bill Clinton's a rapist, right? A ra I mean, <laughs> no, I would not. Yeah, yeah, so you can see them touching on that divide there as well. And then just the notion that, you know, that Marr is close to getting red-pilled. So Dave Rubin references that and he talks about it a couple of times in the conversation so there's a bit about it where um so <laughs> bill maher for a big part of the conversation focuses on gay sex he the does. mechanics on it the uh, the relative hygiene practices why people are interested in it and this is kind of his thing he wants to make these conversations not about supposedly not about politics, just about, you know, hanging out and talking about nonsense. But I've received general feedback that it's a bit like Rogan, where he says that, but every episode COVID comes up or politics come up, right? Mm. So it isn't exactly like that. But, you know, when you were asking Matt about, like, why does he have him on? It's clear that there's a little bit of discomfort around 
the potential for the subject to be focused on politics. And so, mm. listen to this. And this is club random. No, but I. But we don't do that shit. We don't here. do that shit here. No, we don't right. do like who are your community heroes and like you know, what's your, <laughs> what kind of alpo does your dog eat? I mean, you know, that's too. Uh, that's too like question you get in the press. Here we're just we're here to talk about gay sex. We're, Dave. we're gay sex. I want to know. <laughs> I do I mean, want to know. Yes. One thing. Yes. Is now. Okay, so when did you, and when when did you, you started out <laughs> liking girls or thinking, or you never did? I never was, really thought about it that way, sort of, because, well, first off, people always say to me, you don't seem gay. That's the thing that I get all the time. You well, don't I'm, seem gay. Yeah, Bill Maher has a real interest in this. He keeps <laughs> steering the conversation towards it. Dave Rubin isn't really comfortable talking about it, which I totally understand, actually, because Bill Maher is asking him stuff like, like, what specifically do you think about when you masturbate? Just two or three questions. What do you think about when you masturbate? Yeah. I'm talking about, like, they, have a, they take sodium pentothal and they have to tell yeah. you the truth. You, you only have a few minutes to get to know them. Yeah. How do you get your money? Yeah. Who are you fucking? What do you think about when you masturbate? If you got those three answers on you know i mean sometimes it's not that scandalous like i don't know about yeah. you Chris, but like if i like that's not a question i'm gonna answer in public right yeah so there's yeah there is that and you can see that ruben wants to present himself as you know i'm up for anything i'll talk about anything but he is not comfortable and like just to give an example of like how graphic the discussion goes here's a segment about anal sex chat you know i do have gay sex that's one of that's something good for you, you. Know? and i know of people course. find that to be odd or well, it's a little out there for some people it's, it's well not, it is odd I, I accept that it is odd it, right well, like it's a little bizarre for people it's also it's odd but it's also normal because yeah. it's obviously a variation yeah uh, that nature intended i mean it's not the majority but it is consistent, and it's throughout history. And for some reason, nature wanted this little sub-variant where um, you take it in the ass. <laughs> I don't get it because I hate shit. So, like, the idea of fucking and shit is just though, so anathema to me, I can't even tell Bill, you. do you realize my mother loves you, and she's going to watch this? <laughs> but, I mean, it's where my, the, we She can't... agrees with you more than she agrees with me. And, now... I, I, and look, I, I love that you live your life as you love it, and, and I love that for everybody. But we can't deny that's where the shit comes out. It, it, <laughs> it just I, blows I, my mind because I don't like taking a shit. Right. So the idea that I would stick my dick in there is just weird. And it, it goes on. Yeah, like there's quite, a quite, quite an a elaborate discussion about this point. It's probably the only thing that could make me feel sorry for Dave Rubin, just having to be talking to Bill Maher continually steering the conversation towards the mechanics of his sex Yeah, because... Especially because, like, part of Ruben's whole thing is he's gay, right? But he doesn't want to emphasize that point to his audience, except, like, he definitely doesn't want them talking about the relevant mechanics and his sex life. Like, you can hear that he doesn't want to be on that topic yeah, in various that, I, points. Yeah, that's, look, obviously, for audience political reasons, it's not a good topic for him. But also any normal person, Chris. 
any normal oh, yeah, person. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know. Uh, yeah. I know. Like, that is true. That is also the case. But I think in Rubens, there's just a double bind that yeah. nobody, well, it, not nobody. I'm sure there's lots of people that like to go into graphic detail about their sexual lives. In fact, I do know that those people exist. That's but true. for the majority of people, it's probably not something that they want to discuss in public <laughs> in, in great depth. So I, I do have sympathy for Ruben on that point. But yeah, and one point to note there, though, is you see that nature intended, like nature wanted this variation. It speaks to his worldview, right? Mm -hmm. That like, I know that he's trying to voice there a view that he's okay with people being gay. It's fine, right? It's not unnatural, which is a good sentiment. But it's, it's still tender, that notion he has about Muller nature or earth force, like nature determined that it wanted some people to have like yeah. gay sex. And you're just like, he's got mm. a very personified view, a kind of wooish view about nature and biology and all that. Yeah, yeah. It's a subtle influence there. But yeah, given all the other things we've heard him say, I think you're right about that. Yeah. So sticking on the, the thing about like what Bill wants to talk about and what Ruben alternatively might have wanted to talk about a bit more. Here's a bit which comes up on several points about, we already heard one occasion where he's talking about maybe you'll vote for DeSantis. And here again, this comes up. My entire crowd wants me to beat you over the head till you admit that you would vote for Ron DeSantis and you're asking me about anal sex. I know, but it's my show, so all shut right, the fuck all right, up. All right, all right. Uh, um, Keep going. And it's not a political show. I know, I know. It's like if we were actually just sitting around talking, would that? Would you yeah. like have that agenda? If you had an agenda, I wouldn't invite you here. <laughs> yeah, if Ruben had an agenda, he wouldn't have been invited. I think Ruben has a slight agenda you know mm. from all the stuff that we previously heard but yeah um although although i think these kinds of things are just straight up cross-promotional to relatively famous people doing their thing i mean one thing chris though is that it has to be said having listened to this entire rambling conversation too much of which was devoted to the mechanics of anal sex it's just it was so tedious like they it was so scattergunned it's like Ma definitely is is a bit blitzed. Ruben, not so much, but is a cretin. So it was, my God, it's such tedious, tedious content. I mean, I know, it, it I went know. nowhere. It, I know <laughs> it did. But like, I think that it is mostly a cross-promotional exercise. But the fact that Ruben is talking about his audience wants to, you know, he's expected to red pill Bill Maher or... That's what they want out of it. And Bill Maher wants to talk to him about anal sex, right? Like, that's what Bill Maher wants out of it. I don't know if that's what Bill Maher's audience wants to hear, but that's his goal. But you can see Ruben at times, like, I mean, he's a really big DeSantis simp. This is worth noting that, like, yeah, I listened to Ruben's content on occasion, mainly just because I subscribed when we were previously covering something and it was relevant, but also because... He gives you an insight into what's going on in the right. And he's very much switched from his Trump focus to DeSantis. Although he still holds on the sycophantic prayers for Trump. But it's clear if DeSantis gives him the option, he will completely switch to DeSantis at the drop of a hat. And he already mostly has. But so you do hear him bring this up 
again, so we've already heard DeSantis twice. And again, would you say that spit take was? Uh, I thought you were going to go back to this. I thought you were going to go like, so DeSantis proved to you. You know what? If if California yeah. says I have to take shots and DeSantis says I don't, hello, Florida. That's what I'll say about DeSantis. He's a good dude. He's a good dude. He really is. And he doesn't care but, whether you smoke weed and he doesn't care who you marry. Just He doesn't. But to sound like the uh, voiceover at a movie that's coming out soon... Shit just got real. <laughs> but, like, for me, yeah. personally, really, yeah. shit just got real with that. Yeah. And that, that's in my it. mind. Dude, I left this right. place because of it. And I don't want to leave the, leave this place. That's, it would be very hard. Mm, that's interesting. Some real talk there, right? So, you can see there how a particular conspiratorial obsession, like someone like Bill Maher has with vaccines and natural health, can lead you... Like it can't become the overriding issue, even though, you know, in broader ideological political terms, it's he's like a terrible fit <laughs> for DeSantis. He, yeah, he will go there. I think that happens to a lot of normal people, right? Yeah. And you, again, Matt, this is kind of dropping back to the Bill Maher world, but just listen to Maher discuss the issue about his bodily autonomy and, and how he regards it, how important it is. That's different than, this is my body. Yeah. This is my body, my health. And to pretend that you have enough information with all the things they've been wrong Everything. about. Well, Everything. I'm not I'm talking about COVID. I'm talking about medicine in general. All the things they've been wrong about, not mostly because they're corrupt, just because we don't know that much. And all the things they don't know and are still knowing. And every week there's some new story about something. I, I always say they should, somebody should write a book about medicine and called it, call it, now you tell me. <laughs> like they just found out that metabolism, which they always thought slowed down in age, actually doesn't. Now you tell me. Mm. You know, all the drugs they pulled off the market because they said they were safe and effective, but they weren't. Yeah. Now you tell Eggs, me. Eggs, yolks, you don't well, eat yolks. Yeah, right. Yeah, Stuff yeah, like, yeah. It's like you don't have a monopoly on what the truth is about medicine. And we're all individuals. My profile is different than somebody else's profile. So what might be right for them would I recommend as many vaccines and boosters as they have for people who are 100 pounds overweight? I would. You probably need them. I don't, or I don't think I don't. And that no. should be my decision. And even if, it, even if it did affect you, which it doesn't, because we know that having the vaccine, you, you can still transfer it just as easy or get it just or as it, easy. Yeah, so yeah. that's a, a red herring argument yeah. to begin with. It shouldn't involve that. But even if it did... It's still my body. I, I want to be a team player. I want to help everybody. But you can't come inside my body. Yeah. It's not subtle. <laughs> no. Is it? Like, there's no. some, the anti-vax, you know, the fear about the bodily contamination from these potentially hazardous vaccines. That's really core to Bill Maher's whole thing. Like, it's not, it's not mm. a superficial just an aspect he has. No. It's no, no, obviously and, and, very deep. 
Yeah, and it's connected to his more general view because anti anti-vaxxers is of quite a specific thing. The skepticism of modern medicine and that preference for natural, holistic things and bespoke, customized, tailored treatments and the skepticism about how much we don't know and how it's also complex. It's a real mystery. The importance of autonomy in figuring it out and making your own health decisions and you know better than than the authorities, just like the mommy intuition you'll see here on Facebook and mothers groups about um, anti-vax. Like it's all, it's all stuff that you'd be, you'd have, you've seen in the academic literature and it illustrates how anti-vax views do actually stem from a broader worldview around health, bodily autonomy and that kind of thing. So, yeah, there's nothing original in, in anything Bill Maher thinks <laughs> about, about vaccines. This is all stuff like we could get a highlighter and pull out that table from one of those Ann Cutter papers that you like, Chris. And, mm. and, we, and we, we could highlight <laughs> each of the tropes that he hits upon. Um, it's, it's good because you actually see what his reading list is. Like you see the, the stuff that's infiltrated his brain from the internet or books or whatever. Um, yeah. So, you know, the word clips I was going to play, Matt, which was Dave Rubin trying to get spiritual and talk about the cosmic creator and stuff in the middle of this episode but i honestly don't think it's worthwhile because there's nothing there well first you, off, what, what, what does that mean the universe i mean it's just the vaguest sort of it the you, you must know that the universe really doesn't give a shit about you and is not sending you messages it's definitely uh, it, it's no not. i think you can i think you can find messages within the nonsense that doesn't mean that the universe handed them to you or that even that there's a divine thing doing it but you can find moments that have meaning like i mean really think about it this way so from the for, universe. What? Well, I don't know. We call it the universe or whatever. There, there are, it's not all random. Here we are in Club Random. It's not all, <laughs> it's not all completely random, it right? Is, you actually. think it's all completely random. What, you think what, it's what, all. What are we saying all? The fact that you're here and you showed up on that time, any, that, that wasn't random. Order, we arranged it. That it's any order to any of this. You think, you think it's all just. Well, first of all, we'll never know because we don't know, you know, we can. Basically, well, you're right. We'll never know. I, I, look, you you say it all the time on the show that it's okay to say you don't know. Absolutely, and, it, and you're, and, and, and and you're totally right. Of I mean, course, you're right. I'll I'll tell you what it is. He like went for a walk on the anniversary of someone's death, and then the clouds opened at some part when he was about to walk back, and him and his sister took it as a sign. And he thinks this plus him talking to Bill Maher after you know wanting to be a success for so long shows there's some cosmic power and Jordan yeah. Peterson has made him say that. It's so stupid. And, you know, lots of people have this kind of thing, but with Dave Rubin, it's so vacuous and empty and it takes so long to tell this absolutely mundane point of view, which proves nothing. It's just the sun shines yeah. out of a cloud at a specific moment that he takes. As yeah, it's just a vibe. Yeah, his big point is that he's got a vibe that everything has a purpose things are meant to happen, that kind of stuff. It's Yeah. Yeah, yeah. we can skip it. <laughs> there's nothing, there's absolutely nothing. <laughs> Listeners, we listen to it, so you don't have to. Let's move on. Yeah, so maybe the thing to round this terrible detour on is, we, you know, try on a couple of occasions, but they end on a positive note. So I have one clip of something that I kind of agree with Dave Rubin on. But before that, Let's just see if Ruben has accurately pegged his audience. 
because he discusses his audience at one point. So let's see how accurate he is. So what can I glean from if I go on tour and if my audience is mostly conservative and they're usually somewhat religious, but I get a lot of your guys too. I get a lot of like the disaffected liberals or whatever you want to call that, right? right? But they love me. They right. love me and they think I'm I'm honest, which I am, right. and I think that I'm decent, which I am, and I, I'm a little different. They're from, over the gay thing. No, they they're are, over they, it. They they're absolutely are. And, and that's why right. that's why the woke are so dangerous, because because the the right and here's where I would give Trump credit. Maybe you wouldn't. Trump was literally on stage with a fucking rainbow flag, which is I hate the rainbow flag. I have nothing to do with the LGBT really? community. Yes, I have nothing to do with any of that. Dear Ruben there is presenting himself as, you know, I'm a pretty moderate guy. I get conservatives, but, you know, there's liberals that come and people think I'm honest. And, like, just again, Matt, in the context of where we just heard him outright polemical lies in the first segment of clips from his show. And also that notion that the right is now completely comfortable with homosexuality and stuff. It's not true, right? So gay marriage more acceptable on the right now, yes. And Donald Trump can be on stage with a rainbow flag. But you don't have to go very far to see evangelical reaction to like anything about, you know, talking about gay lifestyles or same-sex parents or just go a little bit farther. And you have Nick Fuentes and the people who present that as a perversion against Christ, against the traditional values of society and so on. So it isn't that now the right-wing conservative movement is completely fine with gay people. That's all. That's all in the past. No, mainstream right-wing politicians might not campaign on that, but there's a very thick, active strata on the right, which is not okay with gays. And just look at Milo Yiannopoulos, right? He was a gay provocateur. And what's he turned out to be? Now he's shilling religious icons and promoting gay conversion therapy on right-wing, farler, right religious stuff. So, yeah, yeah. Just, just an example. But mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, I know. Someone who is, especially like at the level of the conspiratorial QAnon stuff that Ruben deals with and promulgates. I mean, it, it, like I've seen so many versions of that, like that any gay couple that say adopts children has got to be doing it for the purpose of child abuse or satanic rituals or something. Like the level that he's working at is not moderate conservatism no, or he classical the, liberalism. The guy that was disgusted, he shook his hand with him. Does that show that now I know the right ring? Like Dave Ruben had that guy on his show. And they're politically aligned. And then on his home audience, he either feigns or genuinely expresses disgust at having shook hands mm. with a gay person. Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think if, I think if Dave Rubin has anything original to what he does, it's that he, he does kind of whitewash the extreme edge of QAnon MAGA politics, right? The way he frames it is just, look, it's just normal, right thinking upstanding people who are open-minded and, you know, liberal in pretty much all respects, just wants, you know, DeSantis is cool with smoking pot, you know. Yeah, the way he puts it is is that this is just like normal stuff that, that, that normal, healthy, right-thinking Americans would be into. It's not crazy conspiratorial stuff. 
Yeah, and yeah, yeah he, and he does have like a clean cut, wholesome image, right? Like he he looks good, he's healthy. You know, he projects that kind of image, so he doesn't come across as frankly sick like someone like Alex Jones. Yeah, and the, the other aspect of it is he does make those things more palatable, but he's he's also just lying <laughs> in a way, Matt, because like. You know, there's a famous clip of Ben Shapiro talking with Ruben and Ruben saying, you know, but you would come to my anniversary party, wouldn't you? You know, because we're friends. You might not approve of the marriage, but and Ben Shapiro's like, no, you know, because it's against my religious values to celebrate your thing. And and so Ruben knows that that exists, that it isn't all sunshine and lollipops on the mm. right. Maybe there's more tolerance than before, but it's not the case that nobody cares about it anymore. So, no. yeah, he's just... Uh, anyway... You, uh, seem, you seem surprised that he's lying about this particular thing. It's <laughs> not. I'm not. I just... I guess it's just annoying that people can lie outright about this kind of thing. And, you know, like, in the environment that he's in with Bill Maher and stuff, there's going to be some pushback on some points, but like most of it will just slip past and they'll move on to talking about something else. But it's why I'm a little bit wary about describing Ruben as just being about like cross promotion in this because he's still hitting all the talking points. And, you know, I think Bill Maher ending up voting Republican wouldn't be that surprising for the reasons he himself outlines. <laughs> Right, like no. if he perceived it that vaccination was going to, because and the thing is, the Republican Party is going to make anti-vaccination a core part of their message. It seems like you know, like you said, the kind of grievance politics. So, yeah, maybe Ruben is right to view this as a an exercise of political outreach. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I guess. I guess I just assume that he's primarily like an entrepreneur. He's looking to make money by being a political pundit. Like I, I guess I see him as a as a pure grifter. So uh, I don't see him really caring that much as to the outcomes. Yeah. See, I think it doesn't contradict because if Ruben succeeded in being part of the catalyst for more coming out as red pilled and endorsing DeSantis, that would completely play into his. Grift. That would be a trophy for him, right? So it can be both that he is just happy to be invited on, you know, a relatively famous person and is going to be quite sycophantic and at times diplomatic in what he says. Yeah. But also, if he can get Bill Maher to endorse more Republican talking points, that serves his purposes and he'll claim it as he was partly responsible for it if it happens. Yeah. It's just that I see these kinds of shows where, like, let's take Bill Maher's Club Random thing as an example. That he's got has had Sean Penn on, Andrew Sullivan, Woody Harrelson, like a whole bunch of names I don't know, but I assume they're relatively famous, right? And I almost think that they they just get people on because they're relatively famous. That's what they do. And relatively famous people go on because Bill Maher himself is relatively famous. It's just kind of what they do. And then they kind of go, well, what the hell are we going to talk about? <laughs> so, they, so they meander about. Yeah, but that's, that's from Maher's side. That's not Ruben's side. 
like Ruben is happy to be there, but the guests that go there, they often do have their own agenda or thing that they want to talk about. Like Woody Harrelson very recently was on SNL and gave a big monologue about anti-vaccine stuff. And sure. on his appearance with Bill Maher, he was talking about the same thing. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. But I mean, but you know, he's so shallow. Like you heard what he talked about when he was talking about something that wasn't politics. You know, how he thought he saw the sun come through the clouds and he thought everything had a purpose. Like, it's just weak, right? He doesn't have anything else going on in his head apart from political punditry. So, like, of course he's going to talk. <laughs> so, I guess to me, that's the point is, like, I'm not saying he's the strategist working behind the scenes. I think he's just brain melted and he's not very intelligent. So, you know, that is what he's going to talk about, but he'll he'll take opportunities where he can. And, and like, he is a polemicist now, and I... I think my sticking point is just the version where Ruben is not really believing what he's saying. I don't think it's the case because I think he's that stupid, that he mm. he is a true believer at the same time as being absolutely a polemicist who will say whatever he yeah. needs to in the moment. I can't remember if we've had this conversation online before or on the show before, but I've argued about people with this many times, which is that there's no contradiction here. There's no contradiction. No. People just believe whatever it is that suits them. And yeah. he's he's not very deep. He's not going to put in the mental energy to be pretending to do his job and then to have his own sort of secret worldview that's separate from that. No, no. People just align their, their beliefs to what's convenient for them. So I, I just never see a contradiction with you know, are they grifting and, and pretending in scare quotes or are they really ideologues? Like for me, it's just like, well, what's the thing that's motivating him? And he's, he's an entrepreneur. He's a businessman. Like he started off in comedy, did a thing with the Young Turks, like anything that will get clicks and get downloads and earn him money. I mean, it's a job like we see with so many people in the discourse. Yeah. We're different though, Chris. We're different because it's a hobby for us. It's, that's, that's very different. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, that, that, I'm sure that completely inoculates us. But but in any case, like I've just had enough of thinking about Bill Maher <laughs> or anyone like them. You know, it would have been very hard to cover them both together. So it was a good idea to separate them. But my God, do I want to get back to people who are a little bit more interesting, you know, just interesting, interesting in, in, in any way. So Ruben, much like Bill Maher, he's a polemical pundit and he's a not very intelligent one. That's my take on him. There's nothing really there except he's good at selling. You know, he's, he's essentially a throwback in a way to like the polished TV presenter. He can do that. But he's he's empty. He's just a soulless <laughs> husk of a human. And he's been filled up by the absolute lowest rank right wing partisanship. And yeah, there's very little to analyze that isn't on the surface because he's all surface. Yeah. That's all he is. <laughs> that's a good that's a good summary. I, I co-sign every one of those statements, particularly the ones about him being superficial all surfaces and just not very interesting. Um, you know, recycled conspiratorial talking points that sit somewhere in between uh, Tucker Carlson and Alex Jones delivered in his own particular style. But 
yeah, there's nothing there of interest to us. Um, I don't want to spoil the garometer, but he'll probably ding a couple of things, but he's just he's just not a deep enough to to be doing the guruish things. It's just rank punditry. You can see him aping the people that we've covered. Like he wants to be that kind of figure in a way to his audience, but he's just crap. <laughs> so like the thing is like there are aspects of it where he's he's doing an imitation of Jordan Peterson or he's doing an imitation of Tucker Carlson or whatever. But it's it, like he's just it's a real always- imitation. Yeah. And- yeah. Like if you compare him to say someone like Douglas Murray, right? Douglas Murray yeah. is, is similar in some respects, right? That he's often talking to right wing, anti leftist, talking points, political punditry, monologuing, that kind of thing. Polished speaker as well. But Douglas Murray has some, for all his faults, some depth to him. Like he'll put together. He'll put together things that are particularly Douglas Murrayan arguments and you know frameworks and rhetoric and um, yeah. But the thing with Ruben is that it's like it's targeted at ten-year-olds. Like it's really simple stuff. It's lowest common denominator stuff. So um, yeah. yeah, yeah. So we're sorry. We're sorry for inflicting this upon the people. But you know, there he is. He's off the. Docket. We don't need to do Ruben again. And I, I don't think he's going to score particularly high on the grometer just because he's he's not good at things. So, <laughs> um, yeah, so this will be an illustration that it is not just people we dislike because I really dislike Ruben. <laughs> I, I, I politically dislike him as a person. I dislike him. Mm. And, yeah, I don't think he's going to score that highly on the grometer. No, no. Okay. So he's not even going to do well at that, Matt. He's, <laughs> he's failed at it as well. <laughs> yeah. I um, mean, look, I'm just looking here, though. I don't want to spoil the surprise with the garometer, but, you know, conspiracy mongering, that's there. Grievance mongering, that's there. Anti-establishment now, you, I know which one. Yeah, I know where he's going to score high and where he's going to score low. And mm. uh, He'll hit about half of them. He'll hit maybe yeah. under half, but the other ones he'll score very low on. Yeah, all the the ones that require some sort of intellectual, even pseudo intellectual effort, like galaxy brightness, he's gonna fail at. Yeah, I agree. So in any case, off he goes. Adi Vadachi, goodbye, David Rubin. Goodbye. Into uh, back to your bunker, and like I say, we'll try to get some more substantial figures in the next while but you know for calibration purposes this it's it's useful on occasion and we do have to this year dip into the left-wing commentary at space but we'll maybe try to lean more towards like left-wing guru types so yeah mm. i'm wondering who dave rubin's left-wing equivalent is answers on a postcard but i, I don't want to do him <laughs> whoever it is we might end up doing him but you know just yeah yeah, yeah. let's let's do someone who's going to score highly next time make the garometer yeah. go ding yes that's right now because matt we stopped canvassing for reviews we've got a dearth of new reviews so this is a problem for our review of review segment but I did come across one negative one from this month. So this this one is pretty good. It's titled 
grifters with delusions of grandeur. So here's us, Matt, being grifters. Uh, it's a short review. It just says, unbearably smug, unlistenable. <laughs> That's from Eric Jones, 79. So, you know, Matt, maybe we're... Are we the Dave Rubens for some people out there? It seems so. We're the smug grifters. Maybe mm. we are the mirror image of Dave Rubin. Could yeah, be. Could be. Could be. And there's a positive review then to to balance that with, which is by Abrin Galactic. It's a little bit long, but I'll read a selection from it. It says, criticism hidden as witticism. A low-quality endeavor. Five stars. I like that. Um, These two neoliberal shills don't fool with their fake accents, lulling you into unconscious submission with their disc-approved neuro-linguistic programming aimed at reducing your involute and tremendous personal convictions with doctored and unrelenting criticisms. The CIA-approved tactic will helplessly mold your mind into the dull collectivist acquiescence of a babe in bunting carried down the river to Babel's Tower for reprocessing as meat in the New World Order. That's a good exercise in creative writing. That's good. Well, we can always get ChatGPT to create reviews for us if we can't um, think, get enough of them. But I just Googled it, Chris, and I see in various sites, I don't know if we've done these ones before, but there's lots of good, good reviews out there. Of course, we have hundreds of reviews. Yeah. These are new ones, Matt. I'm canvassing new ones. That's ah. the contemporary ah. reviews. I don't like to go into the past. I only live in the present. <laughs> you only go forward. A, <laughs> I'm a shark. Yeah. So that's where we are. So, you know, more reviews, please. More reviews. I can't look back at old reviews. I only can see the future. So, <laughs> so supply us with reviews or it'll be back to the wisdom of Michaela. It's up to you. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want that, guys. Trust me. Yeah. No. Patrons, Matt, we need to shout them out. I'm always wary about this segment because of the difficulty I have in tracking who's been shouted out. But here we're going to go, and I'm going to first shout out the conspiracy hypothesizers. They are Will Simmons, Ken Harris, Daniel Farley, Mizus Frist, Undead Legend, Louise... Jessica, Greg Tuff, Sean Hackobian, and Patrick. That hmm. is our conspiracy hypothesizers for this week. Thank you, guys. I feel like there was a conference that none of us were invited to that came to some very strong conclusions, and they've all circulated this list of correct answers. Now, I wasn't at this conference. This kind of shit makes me think, man. It's almost like someone is being paid. Like when when you hear these George Soros stories, mm-hmm. well, he's trying to destroy the country from within. We are not going to advance conspiracy theories. We will advance conspiracy hypotheses. I really, I really like Joe Rogan's um, tone there. It's just, it's like this sort of '60s kind of hippie thing. Yeah. This kind of shit, man. <laughs> yeah, I know. And, and these guys advancing, you know plans it's like it's you joe you're the one saying that you know all these people saying soros is up to shit and like you <laughs> you're saying it right now <laughs> but anyway those were conspiracy hypothesizers our revolutionary thinkers matt they include lachlan gilchrist alex weschler david love maureen 
Matt, not you, a different Matt, Max, Liam Dobson, Bill W2011, Jonathan Kano, uh, I wonder like the Mortal Kombat character, and Sean Carmody and Patrick Dunlop. Those hey. are our revolutionary thinkers. Thank you. I'm usually running, I don't know, 70 or 90 distinct paradigms simultaneously all the time. And the idea is not to try to collapse them down to a single master paradigm. I'm someone who's a true polymath. I'm all over the place. But my main claim to fame, if you'd like, in academia is that I founded the field of evolutionary consumption. Now, that's just a guess, and, and, and it could easily be wrong. But it, it also could not be wrong. The fact that it's even plausible is stunning. <laughs> that, that one always catches me <laughs> off guard. Brett Weinstein reaction to Jordan's comment. Yeah. I, like, yeah. you know, contrasting delivery, like you were saying about how Ruben is just so unconvincing. He's like a pale imitation. And, you know, Brett, he's, he's got the delivery that, you know, it's that, that emotion is coming through. Yeah. So last month, the shining stars and the guru size, the galaxy brain gurus who are welcome to talk to us once a month at long, ask me anything, live streaming, chat, hangout events. They are Sarah Eckel, Sean Chinnery, Rez, SM Jenkins, the Hey Elliot podcast, Hey Elliot podcast, Thomas T, Four Arsef, Tim Rossiter, Tom Allison, Tom V, Tom Yasko, and Trey DeVille. <laughs> Very good. Well done, Chris. Thank you, everyone. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you all. We tried to warn people. Yeah. Like what was coming how it was going to come in, the fact that it was everywhere and in everything. Considering me tribal just doesn't make any sense. I have no tribe. I'm in exile. Think again, sunshine. <laughs> yeah. The thing that that last clip just made me think, Matt, I actually missed Scott Adams. This makes me pine for Scott Adams because, <laughs> like, he's evil, but at least there's, you know, something entertaining to him. Like, Ruben, oh, mm. fuck me. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. No, I know. Evil, but complicated in a way, you know? Or like he's got the stuff going on there that we can talk about. But what can you say about Dave Rubin? Nothing. No, nothing except what we did say. But um, all right. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> for um, two hours. Yeah. I know. Anyway. Yeah. Sorry about this episode, everyone. It's, we had to get it done. We listened to those episodes. We had to put them out. But um, they can't we, all we be won't. bangers. There's got to be no. some fillers, like side B stuff. That's how That's it works. Right. We'll be back. We'll be back on side A soon. Don't worry. This is <laughs> just, yeah. That's well. Well, anyway, thank you for listening. Accord the disc. Note the gin. Be aware of what a prat the Ruben is, and go about your lives. <laughs> Good advice. Bye, everyone.
Oh, we're recording. <laughs>